0: Hello and welcome to Indie Bytes, the podcast where I bring you short, bite-sized conversations in under 15 minutes with fellow indie hackers. In this episode, we have Helen Riles. More about that in just a sec. But first, I want to thank the sponsor of this episode, Weekend Club. Weekend Club is a community I'm personally a part of. I want to tell you exactly why I love it. Every Saturday we meet up remotely, we have these deep working sessions where we talk about what we're gonna work on and get done that day. The Slack is the most active and enjoyable ones I've ever been on and to top it all off, being a member gets you over 100 software discounts. I know for me as a solo founder, I've always struggled meeting other solo founders and having that accountability to get done what I needed to get done. I've got a promo code for you for 50% off your first month. Go to weekendclub.co and enter IndieBytes as your code. I'd love you to join. And if you do, I'll see you there next Saturday. Helen Riles is a prolific indie hacker having launched over 40 projects in the last 10 years, selling a few of them along the way. Helen is a proponent of the no code movement advocating for tools that allow non-technical folks like me to create amazing projects starting with this. She also runs the community of Makepad, the no code education and community platform. Helen, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing?
1: Hi James. I'm really good. Thank you. How are you?
0: Yeah, very good. You start a lot of projects. When I was looking into you for IndieBytes, I saw your pinned tweet is the spreadsheet of projects you have. Talk me through how you started out with indie hacking and starting all these projects.
1: So I've always been interested in technology, making websites and graphics as a teenager in the 90s. Then I did computer science at university And I think most of all, I got into it around about 2010. And I think it came from the fact that I won a competition at my day job at a bank at the time. And I got some vouchers and I spent those vouchers on a new computer. And that kind of probably inspired me to spend a bit more time uh, hacking on things on the side. So I started out by buying domains and building WordPress sites and then learning about affiliate sites, Google ads, and keyword research as well. So that was probably where I first got the bitten by the product bug really
0: absolutely so what are you working on at the moment what's your main focus right now
1: so my main focus is my role at Makeup I've been working for Makeup since January of this year. So I focus on the newsletter, the community, also some social things and also writing some tutorials. For my side projects at the moment, I think there's a couple of things that are just bubbling away in the background. One is the line of notebooks I hope to launch next year. It's a long-standing project I've had around for quite a few years. And I'd also like to perhaps relaunch a short ebook I wrote back in 2015, called the launch list. It still gets sales today, but I think it's due for a rewrite and I'm ready for a version two.
0: Yeah, definitely. So many projects, so many ideas. What's your process for coming up with these ideas and then capturing them?
1: Yeah, I think my main habit is really just to write down any idea that I come up with um, and try not to be too judgmental about whether it's a good idea or a bad idea. I think it's really getting into the capture habit. And then when I have any particular free time and look through those lists and laugh at some of the terrible ideas, and then also hopefully see some patterns and trends emerging where I can put two and two together and come up with different things where I've picked up on a particular idea and then without realizing it, put down four or five other ideas and maybe tools that I found that would be useful to work with. And it slowly builds up over time just by collecting and capturing ideas on a a regular basis.
0: Wow. So multiple times a day you're adding more and more ideas. What's your process for deciding which ideas you're actually going to go with and then start executing on them?
1: Yeah. So sometimes I pop them in a spreadsheet and it might be the case that I I kind of rank how easy I think it is to build. Is it something that's can be built with the skills I already have? I quite like putting quite a like a restriction on the amount of time or the amount of resources I'm willing to spend on a project. So mm-hmm. if I can see something that I can see the light at the end of the tunnel in terms of I know within 48 hours I can get to a decent version one and start um, sharing that with people then I would probably prioritize something that I can um, ship quite quickly
0: so with all those ideas that you start to work on how, how do you then validate them start working on them and then choosing which ones you're actually going to pursue and then how long do you go before it gets either sold or you, you can it, nip it in the bud and go then no this isn't going to go anywhere
1: Yeah, in terms of validation, it depends what your um, purpose with the actual product is. For example, a lot of things I build are just purely for learning purposes. So if I've picked a particular business model I'm interested in, if I've picked a particular technology that I want to learn, then I will really um, go against the grain and just build something without much validation it may be that I've already picked up five tweets and two blog posts and evidence around the web of need already so I'll use that just as for me to put a hypothesis together that I think something might be interesting to build out for my own interests if I was focusing on purely for revenue I would probably get customers before I build anything in the case of of PodWords, there's definitely a case where for a transcription business, I was speaking to people and emailing and discussing with friends and, and trying to get that pain point and trying to narrow down to an actual particular problem and yeah, trying to get a sale without even having a website, you know that you've got a good idea that if you can explain the problem clearly, explain the solution that you're offering and know how you can put that together and only build something when you've got somebody ready to pay, I think that's the best validation that can be really.
0: Absolutely. Wonderful way to put it. And you touched on there something that I find interesting and people don't talk about enough is exploring ideas for your own either personal interest or learn a new skill. How long do you go with an idea before you either look to get it sold and we'll get on to selling side projects in just a second or just get rid of and stop working on it?
1: I think it varies. I think there's some projects I've had around for eight, nine years that to me still aren't at a point that I'd hoped to get them to. I think if there's still potential or it hasn't fulfilled its original purpose, I think I would definitely keep um, projects around until it gets to the stage that I had originally intended for it. I think sometimes... You know when a project is ready to be sold, whether that's you can see its potential, but you don't have the time or the resources and you don't foresee yourself having those resources in the near future and you can see that somebody else will be best placed. Um, and sometimes you get a project to a point where you think you've done as much as you can. You've got it to the original end point and it's time to find a new home with somebody else with different skills. So maybe I build it and then somebody else can come along with better marketing tactics or perhaps I market something and I don't have the time and resources to continue that particular marketing channel but I have kind of found out that it works and proved my original my original aims really but I think each individual project has its own lifespan and it depends on how much time you're willing to put into it really.
0: Absolutely and on selling side projects you've written this fantastic thread that has done really well. I'll make sure I link it in the show notes about selling side projects because you sold a few over the last few years, plugins, download site, a physical product business and a subscription business, no code one plus branded domains.
1: I think selling a side project is probably easier than people think. There are so many marketplaces out there from the ones that people know already like Flipper, to IndieMaker and even people in uh, Slack groups. There's lots of kind of Um, projects that people buy from friends between communities where somebody has the necessary skills to take over um, a product and has perhaps been there and followed through the journey and has a good understanding of the original founder and why they want to sell it as well. I think the main thing is to gather all the assets that you think you have. I think a lot of people think it's the code base or or the domain name that's the particular asset that you sell, but really there's a lot more things that go into a sale. So whether that's marketing ideas, any feedback you've had from customers, email accounts, social media handles, there's quite a wealth of assets that you can build up around a project and it all Helps the next owner to go on and be more successful.
0: And you said you've sold a subscription business that was built completely on no code, which sort of leads us on to your current role at the moment at Makerpad and your role in the the no code community. Tell me a little bit more about what Makerpad is and what you're doing with them.
1: Makerpad is an online education platform. It's the leading no code education platform there is really. So there's lots of tutorials, lots of um, ways to um, learn new skills and look at new tools, new no code tools, how to put them together, what components you can use to integrate things together. So my role is mainly focused around the community, helping people to answer their questions, give them guidance whether they're getting started with no code.
0: Yeah without a doubt And um, for those that don't know what what is no code and why is it important for indie hackers?
1: Yeah, I think each person has their own definition of no code. Um, Some people refer to it as visual development, using drag and drop builders to create apps and websites and things like that. To me, no code is more about using the most efficient tools to build an idea. So whether that's using skills you've already got to make sure that you can ship something in the quickest amount of time. There's lots of people who are developers who are using no code for rapid prototyping because the speed at which they can implement an idea and get feedback is critical. There's definitely places where no code is more suited because, for example, if you want to get feedback from a client on a particular app, you don't want to spend hours on getting that particularly bug-free. You want to make sure that you're communicating the idea as quickly as possible and getting feedback, and then when it's ready to be put into production later on down the line, There's lots of ways you can use low code or no code or even fully coding out a custom app to put that um, into production. And I think we're all using no code tools now, whether we realize it or not. I think a lot of developers, um, they're not coding their own payment processing platforms. They're using Stripe. And there's Mm -hmm. lots of tools that developers are using, which come under the umbrella of low code or no code. And I think it will probably go more that way in the future. We don't need to keep reinventing the wheel. We need to build upon the platforms we've already got.
0: I think that's a superb way to put it because in, in my head when I was thinking of no code, I was thinking it means that non technical people can can build projects easier, but you make a completely valid point about those that don't even realize they're using no code tools. What would you say are the the best no code tools out there? If you could give me just a few of them that come to mind straight away for doing Various different tasks.
1: Yeah, I I think Card is probably one of the leading ones in terms of the simplicity of getting a landing page and MVP. Then mm-hmm. you can get that live probably in under an hour, and then you've got things like Boundless Labs where if you want to create a. Um, a calculator or kind of an online uh, web app where you can have users input figures and and calculate formulas and things like that. There's uh, no code builders there where if you've got the the same skills you would use in Excel, then you can build a, a web app quite quickly. I also quite like the mobile apps out there like Glide where you can use a Google sheet as a database and pull in information into a nice kind of progressive web app, which um, people can install on their phones. And you can have hundreds of people using a a mobile app you've created.
0: One of my favorite uh, sort of no code workflows is getting something set up on cards really quickly, really easily. And it has expanded the possibilities of what um, someone like me can do, who's more product of marketing focused. but now I can actually build stuff a lot more easily. What would you say are some of the most exciting or impressive things you've seen people do with no code?
1: Yeah, I think some of the Webflow sites that people are building now are Mm. amazing that you wouldn't necessarily even call them no code. Some of the no code tools out there that we might have seen many times over with different content in them. Whereas now I think with Webflow, there really is a lot more freedom to build unique things and come up with your own idea, design it in Figma or Sketch, and then learn the skills to be able to translate that into a working interactive Webflow site.
0: Without a doubt. All right, Helen, this has been really good fun. We're going to end on some quick fire questions, if you don't mind. Perfect. First of all, what is your favorite book?
1: I think the 4-Hour Workweek had a big impact on me at the time. I, and also I enjoyed Authority by Nathan Barry.
0: What about your favorite podcast?
1: I really enjoyed The Side Hustle School by Chris Gilbo. Um, there's lots of different stories, whether that's um, physical products, um, local businesses, but it gives you a really uh, wide range of businesses and products that people have created and been successful with.
0: Fantastic. And what indie hacker do you admire slash who should people follow?
1: I think Michael Gill, he is a great uh, creator and I think some of the products he has created have been really fantastic over the last, over the last 12 months.
0: Amazing. And then finally, Helen, what are you most excited for in the future?
1: Well, uh, overall, I guess I'm looking forward to seeing what no-code tools come next. I think there's lots of great things happening in the mobile space. Um, And also, I think the expansion of Card and its upcoming marketplace and more templates and the more tools that will be added to Card in the future will be really interesting to use.
0: Absolutely. You're fantastic. I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation here. Where can people find you?
1: Yeah, if people want to chat, I'm on Twitter at Helen Riles.
0: Amazing. Thank you. Thanks, James. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Indie Bytes. I've got some more fantastic episodes lined up for you, including the founder of Indie Hackers themselves, Cortland Allen. To make sure you don't miss out on that episode, head over to IndieBytes.co and subscribe to the mailing list. Finally, a huge thanks to Charlie and Weekend Club for sponsoring Indie Bytes. You'll find a link along with a code to sign up in the show notes. That's all from me. Enjoy the rest of your day.